you know, if you're getting married and you're hiring a photographer, you want to hire a photographer that only has weddings in their portfolio. You don't want to hire a photographer that has nudes and travel photography. And then that sounds like a fun wedding. So (laughs) (laughs) because you know that if, if someone you do want to be making the right choice and the right choice is the most specialized person for the job. Mm. <laughs> we are going to have some fun on this episode. This is one of those ones where I get to have a conversation with one of my very, very good friends. You know, whether it's back in the days when I was a restaurateur, a trainer out in the world, when I started consulting as a speaker, and now as an entrepreneur, I always realized that a really strong brand could do a lot for your business. It's not just about a pretty logo and the right colors. It's about having a perspective, having a point of view. And so I thought that would be an interesting thing to talk about on this episode of the Mic Drop Moment. And when I think about brand identities and creating them, there's no one better than my friend, Joanna Galvao. She is the co-founder of Gift Design Studios. It's an award-winning design agency that specializes in brand identities. They're based in Porto, Portugal. I actually got to visit her last year. Uh, Phil and I went and hung out with Joanna and her husband, and we had so much fun there. But they're based in Porto, Portugal, and they work with a team of seven designers and developers. Uh, They help entrepreneurs and industry leaders in over 17 countries and counting. Talk about world domination. And their goal is to help people elevate their brands through beautiful and conversion-driven design. We actually talk about that a lot in this episode, how it's not just about having a pretty website or a pretty slide deck, how it's about understanding what you want your audience to do and then guiding them through that via design. Joanna is also one of my favorite public speakers. She teaches in this way that is engaging, fun, and elegant, and you walk away learning so much. She speaks internationally on the power of design and creativity, and her work has been featured in The Guardian UK, Brand Brilliance, and Digital Arts Magazine. If you're interested in finding out more about what they're doing over there, you can head to wedesignbrandidentities.com. Wedesignbrandidentities.com. So on this episode of the Mic Drop Moment, Joanna and I talk about branding, public speaking, business, entrepreneurship, and what you need to do to stand out in a crowded marketplace. This is going to be a great one for all of those folks who are kicking off the year and thinking about a brand refresh. We cover it all in this episode. We'll see you on the inside. So you have a story to tell and you wonder how to own the stage and give that killer speech that will captivate the masses. You don't just want to speak to them. You want to transform your audience. Welcome to the Mic Drop Moment. Bold conversations about public speaking, storytelling, and business that give you real-world valuable takeaways so you can craft a speech, a story, a business, and a life that the world can't stop talking about. It's time to find your mic drop moment. Here is your host, Mike Ganino. One of the things that I've that I've loved watching as your friend and as someone, you know, even being around you at conferences and seeing how you are in the world, seeing how we are in social, it feels like from birth you were like one of those people that knew like, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to do design, brand strategy. I'm, this is what I'm made to do in the world. Did it always feel like that? Like from a childhood where you like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, this is what I'm going to do. Or did you stumble up on that? Well, first I love that it looks like that. That means I'm, I'm acting very well (laughs) and then I'm faking it well. Um, but you know, I don't, I don't always know what I'm doing, um, like I can't always predict in the future, like where I'm headed, but I know there are certain things that, you know, I'm really passionate about and I just want to start. Like, I, I think I'm a quick starter, you know, in those like personality tests. <laughs> um, and it started like when I was really young, I remember at school, I, I wanted to design my own birthday party invitations because I really believed that if I designed them well, more people would come. It's like that. It's like the beginning, the origins of like conversion-based <laughs> design was like, oh, the party, the the invitation is going to tell people what to expect if they come here. Yeah, 
I think it probably worked. It would have worked with me. I would have been like, oh, this is going to be, a, you know, because I was like super poor kid. So I would have been like, oh, this is going to be a bomb party if it had a pretty, pretty card. <laughs> I remember one one um, party that I because I, I would also do them for my sister. I themed the whole party like um, pop star. And so it had like an illustration of all of us um, with microphones and with in, on a big stage because we were going to karaoke place. And I had like limos and everything. And the whole the whole theme of the party was like to make us feel like we were pop stars. Yeah. And I, I do think the invitations got people to. <laughs> Yeah, get, but I, at least to get excited about the party. I mean, that's like really similar though to to when someone's creating uh, a brand design, whether it's a, a physical product, whether it's whether it's uh, a website, whether whatever a book cover, all of those things really do. And I've learned so much about this from you. Kind of tell people what to expect, so you get the right people interested. Mm -hmm. Okay, so yeah. so you went from party invitations. I also know you've told me before that you made books when you were little, like you sold books to your friends at school. Yeah. So I remember, um, well, my mom would get me to do a lot of crafts projects. And um, one day I wrote the story that she was like, oh, this is a really great story. We should we should turn it into a little book. And so she typed it up, printed it out in different pages. And I would um, and then she'd leave me room for me to illustrate each <laughs> piece of the story. And I decided that this was good enough to sell. So I grabbed that one and I started going to my friends around school and I was like, hey, look, I just made this book. Um, it's really good. You can buy it. If you give me like a hundred uh, scudos, which is like the equivalent of a euro, um, I will go make another one at home and I'll bring it in tomorrow. And so I started pre-selling all these books to my friends at school. And every single one was handmade. Like your mom was typing each one and you were drawing each one. I think she was printing each one, but I was hand drawing each one. And then we were like folding all the pieces of paper, stapling it. We had like a whole assembly line with my sister helping as well. <laughs> your sister was like original child labor. Yeah, for her. So, were all of, and so the books were the same. They didn't get to like customize their book at all. No, no, they're wow. all the same. This is so yeah. smart. This is so smart. So did yeah. you go on like later to have other businesses? Were you like a teenager selling things as well? Yeah, I think I always tried to like look for the next thing to do. I had um, a t-shirt company with friends. I um, I made counterfeit goods. I had like little badges that I made. Um, and I didn't know at the time that, you know, it's illegal if you print someone else's logo and put it on a badge and sell it. So I, I'd take orders. I'd be like, okay, so friends, I'm going to make these badges. Which brands do you like? And what color background do you want? And they'll be like, oh, I want a pink Adidas badge. And I'd go and on Google, print out the logo, change the colors and turn it into a badge and, and sell them like that. I love it. I was like selling pizza at Pizza Hut when I was in high school and you were like a counterfeit artist <laughs> uh, and a t-shirt artist and all these things. It, it it definitely feels like, again, looking at it, that that maybe while we're all kind of always figuring it out, we're all, I think anyone who says that they have it figured out is the real imposter right? And like, mm. we talk about imposter syndrome. I think the real imposters are the ones who don't feel imposter syndrome. Like the ones who say like, oh, I've always had it figured out. It's like, nah, I think you're the one that's lying to all of us. But it does seem with me, with you, that design was always going to be part of your path. That that was always something you really cared about. Yeah. I think I, I always liked making things. And if I think back to everything, everything that I've, I've done for, for money and like all the creative projects that I've, yeah, they're, they're all creative, right? I'm either making books or badges or paintings or, you know, illustrations, all of that. I saw recently so, on your Instagram story, you were, you went to like a workshop and you were making books again. You like, mm -hmm. that's some very, and at first I thought it was going to be like some like hodgepodge, like weave together, sewn together book. It was like a legitimate book you yeah. made at this workshop. It was. Beautiful. Yeah. All hand sewn um, and then glued together and yeah. Yeah. So so you went to college and in college you studied design as well, art? Yeah. I studied – the first year you try a little bit of everything. Um, you try a little bit of fashion design, animation, illustration, uh, sculpture, and graphic design. And I actually wanted to be a music video director at that point. Oh, that's specific. Yes. 
Um, I also really liked dancing. So I wanted to combine both. You know, I thought like, oh, dancing and filming dancers and, you know, like all the dance movies were coming out at the time and MTV was the only channel I watched. So that's what I wanted to be. But then in that first year, when you get to try everything, um, my teachers were like, no, you should do graphic design. You're really good at graphic design. So I was like, okay, if you say so, then I'll try that out. And I ended up really liking it. What was it about it that you liked? What was it that you said, okay, I could do this. I can, I could give up my dream of being choreographer slash director to do graphic (laughs) design. I just, I just loved, you know, if they told me I was good at fashion design, I think I would have gone for that too, (laughs) which probably doesn't say much about me and like my power of making decisions might be a little bit easy influenced. Um, But I just liked anything creative, really. Yeah. And so, and and did you realize when you were in school that you wanted to start an agency? Yes, um, because most of our teachers were only teachers part-time and they all had their own design agency. And they, they'd come in and they'd tell us about what they were doing at work. And I just thought it was so cool that like they got to, um, you know, birth companies or birth the company's look and feel, you know, their clients would show up and be like, you know, I'm opening a restaurant and here's the name, here's the type of food that I'm going to sell but I have no idea what it should look like. I have no idea what the menu should look like, what the colors should be, what the interior should be. And they'd get to be there since the very beginning dictating what it looks like, which I thought was was such a cool thing to be a part of because I believe that that design is going to make or break that company. You know, if, if you have a well-designed storefront, a well-designed ad, that's going to make someone come in or click on your ad or or stay on your website for longer. If you don't, then you might lose potential customers. So I feel like that was big responsibility and a cool well, job to have. And it's so interesting to think about like if, and, and it's certainly for, for me as a speaker, one of the things I've, I've always realized is that it was really that what I was putting out there, the way that I dressed, the way that my website looked, the font, the colors always spoke for me long before I was speaking. Yeah. And that that first impression would dictate a lot of things. And so how much someone was willing to pay, Mm -hmm. how much of an expert you look like, even down to like, do I expect you to be fun and playful or serious? Mm -hmm. And it's where do you think or why do you think so many people get that wrong, that that they, they put the message out there to the world and then the world meets them and it's like, whoa, that doesn't match up. So um, after like for the past five years, I've been speaking to business owners and trying to sell them my services, right? So the main thing that I hear is that, you know, either design is a luxury or making things pretty is not my priority right now. You know, Mm. I hear a lot of that. Um, And so it, it, it saddens me a little bit because I feel that if they believe that, then they're missing the power that design has to create to influence your perception. Because like what you were saying, when someone sees you for the first time, they're making snap judgments about you and you haven't even opened your mouth. I mean, there was a study in social psychological and personality science that suggests that this assumption is done in a 33 millisecond glance. Wow. And that's enough to make an assumption based on either trustworthiness or status. So I'm already making an assumption within less than a second, people have um, make an assu- made an assumption whether they can trust you or not and, you know, how much they think you're worth or how much do they think they're your med- middle class or, you know. Well, and it's interesting to think about that that when that's happening. So, like, a lot of people listening who might be speakers or they're, they're entrepreneurs who speaking is part of their revenue stream maybe. It's an interesting thing to think that you know, because you get on the phone with someone, they've seen your website, they get on the phone with you, that probably what they're trying to do in that call is validate what they already believe about Mm. you. Like, I already think this is true about you. So I'm just trying to make sure that in the call that that is true, whether I like you or I think "Eh, maybe you're not right for me, I'm supposed to talk to you because my boss says I should call you. My first impression of you is going to probably dictate what happens on that call, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's when you were saying that it just reminded me. Once we had to um, re- 
tweak a little bit, um, a few things about the design of our website, because we were, we were, I was having conversations with people that were saying, you know what, I didn't even fill out the inquiry form because I thought you were too expensive. But then I heard from (laughs) someone else, your prices, and I figured out I could afford you. (laughs) Wow. And so, you know, it's very important that you're, you're testing these things out. Um, but also that, your visuals are aligned with, um, you know, I call it the three V's of, of branding. So you've got your vision. This is your strategy, what you do, um, your, your voice, your copy, what you say about, uh, what you say to your customers, what do you say about yourself and then your visuals. And it's very important that these three are communicating the same thing. You can have, um, a company that says that they're the best in the business and they're they charge a premium service and they're talking about like all the awards they've won. But if their website or their storefront looks cheap, they're going to attract in the wrong customers who are then going to be confused as to why things are so expensive. And then the company is like, well, you know, we're, we have um, a conversion problem, you know, maybe we should invest more on ads or or SEO and they're forgetting they're missing the point, right? It's because the visuals aren't aligned with the rest. Well, and it's so interesting to think of someone who's running, let's say maybe they're running Facebook ads for their course or for their podcast or something, and they're aiming it at a certain style of person. But when the person sees that ad, they think, oh, that's not for me, Mm -hmm. even though the content might be. Yeah. You did a really great uh, like carousel of uh, great visual storytelling, by the way, um, recently on on social media, on LinkedIn and everywhere. We'll, we'll put a link in the in the show notes. But it was a really it was really awesome because you put side by side the same logo and the same mm-hmm. like brand message, but different uh, visual identity, which then totally made a product seem higher end or not higher end. Yeah, I got I got my team to do this. So it was it was actually a really fun exercise for us to do internally. Um, I, I got them to create a really generic shampoo logo. And we got really generic copy like shampoo to make your hair smooth, whatever. <laughs> and then I, I told them like, okay, now make a bottle um, that looks like it would be sold for $2 and make a bottle that it looks like it would be sold for $40. And, um, and then we did the same thing for a coffee brand and a cookies brand. And I got to share these on social media and get people to say, you know, which one is more expensive, A or B. And I, I, actually, you've seen me do this on stage as well, which is so oh, much yeah. fun because like the audience straight away, they're like, oh, yeah, it's A. And then for the <laughs> coffee, oh, it's B. And then I tell them, like, by the way, this was the same logo and the same copy. So point number one is to make is to educate people that your brand identity is not just your logo because a lot of people, <laughs> they're like, oh. I'm going to start a business. I need a logo first. When really the logo is not that important. Um, But then two, to show the power that everything together, the colors, the typography, the materials, the the finishes of the packaging, um, the power that it has to create these assumptions and how quickly you make them. Well, and it's it's so similar to even with like if you think of like a, a speaker or an entrepreneur who is based kind of on their personality, the images even on their website say a lot more than like a logo would. People get so worried about like the the fancy mm-hmm. version of their name logo, but it's like the photos that you have there, the colors in the photos. I've learned so much about this by by watching you speak and and by following along on social and learning everything I can from you about <laughs> how do you position it so that people when they do meet you, it's it's a continuation of what they already thought versus like a whole new, oh, this is what you're about. Mm-hmm. You um you so I've I've had the the privilege of watching you speak and the privilege of also being like your bodyguard, by the way. <laughs> after um I was with you at Traffic and Conversion in so San funny. Diego. And it was like, I, I was in the back being a good friend. I was taking like all of the photos I can. Cause I know that as a speaker, we want photos. We want great photos that show us on the stage. whole audience, right? Not just the ones the photographers are taking at the front. Right, right. It's like, I want it to look, I, I, I want to show that I was actually in front of real humans and not just like faking it on stage. <laughs> but 
So I was in the back of the room. It's a full packed house, a big, huge room, lots of people, standing room only, like people standing outside in line to get in. By the way, they would only let like so many people stand and they were lining up. It's I I was in the back of the room. I remember this. And so many times I was taking video and photo for you and the person would be, oh, you have to sit down. And I was like, no, no, I'm her assistant. And they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, like I was going to get in trouble. That's what a good friend does. I was so happy you were there. By the way, if you're listening to this and you're friend with a speaker or you're at a conference with another speaker friend or you want to become friends with a speaker, this is what you do. Mm-hmm. You get them great photos of them on stage with the big audience. You get great photos of them meeting people, walking off stage, shaking hands. That's how you can uh, – I always wanted to write a book of like how do you become friends with important people. You do helpful things for them, and this is a way. So if you if you want to get closer to a speaker or you are already close to a speaker like we were – this is what you do for them. But my point of this is that you got off stage. You were immediately like attacked by like 30 people. We had to, we had to like get you out of the room because there was another speaker coming and there were so many people that wanted to meet with you. And so even the, the strategy of how you designed your talk, what you showed in the talk, the examples you used, because you're not a hard sell person on stage. You're no. telling stories and sharing. You don't even do like really case studies about, you know, there's that wink, wink version of, hey, we worked with a client just like you, and here's what they saw. You don't even do that. You just do a really great job of positioning you and your team as experts in this. So let's talk a little bit about kind of what goes into you building and thinking about a talk. Because I think that people, one, as a visual storyteller, this is what you do so well. Of course, your slides are beautiful, your images are beautiful, but the whole package is really well done to create a brand identity. Like what you say is a brand identity, what you wear is a brand identity. So let's talk about like talk design for you. How did you, mm-hmm. how, how do you approach it? How do you think about it? Well, um, a lot of it you helped me with. <laughs> I learned a <laughs> lot from you, but um, so I knew that, I know that the more value you give, you know, the more people are going to pay attention. They're going to realize, oh, I'm learning, like this is for me. And, and they're going to, they're going to like you more, maybe more likely to do business with you. But I also know that I can't teach you in a 45 minute slot how to design. It's <laughs> it's just not possible. Um, I mean, we think, you know, it, I wouldn't even go there. So I know that my job is to then educate you on the power of design, which I don't think every, you know, nowadays a lot of people know the power of Facebook ads and they know that a funnel is important, but they don't really, I don't think people talk enough about the power of the right visuals. And so when I approach my talk is like, I want people to leave this talk knowing that um, design can help influence people's perceptions of you and your brand um to make people think like mm, maybe my brand is not doing a good enough job with that yet and oh clearly Joanna knows what she's talking about because <laughs> you know she helped us fall for this like which one's more expensive game thing and and well then let's hire her because I can't design I wasn't taught how to design in this 45 minute um talk and so I think that's how I built the overall like big vision for the talk. And when you, when you're out there, cause I've, I've seen you at Archangel in front of 3000 people mm-hmm. um, telling a story. I've seen you traffic and conversion. Um, I've seen you on podcasts. I've seen you on other stages. Do you approach every single time? Are you building a new talk each time? Or do you have a few signature stories you use or what's your approach to, to the actual content in it? Um, so most of the time I have the same talk yeah, and I tweak a, a story here and there to make it more relevant to the audience. Um, but I've worked, so, you know, it took me like four months or more <laughs> to work on this talk. I'm yeah. like, I'm going to milk it as much as I can. Yeah. Um, it was, it's just like, you know, Archangel, it was a much shorter time slot and different kind of audience. So for that, I wrote a completely different one, but if I can, I'll be giving this talk many more times. <laughs> well, I mean, and that's the power of having a signature talk. I was just actually working with someone and and she was getting asked, she had a couple of like viral TEDx videos that aren't exactly on her topic. That's actually mm-hmm. the danger sometimes of going viral, right? Is mm-hmm. I went viral with something that's not what I want to do. 
And that's mm -hmm. part of your brand identity now is this TED talk that went viral, which yeah. actually doesn't match up to who you are, but it's what we all expect of you, our first impression of you. Mm -hmm. And so she was talking about like, oh, I'm getting these calls and people want me to talk about this, but it's not exactly what I do. And they said, well, part of it is you taking leadership in the call to say, tell me about, let me ask you about your audience and then let me tell you how I can help them versus being an order taker as a speaker and mm -hmm. saying, okay, let me, I actually imagine this is very similar when you work on a brand yeah. identity is yeah. we're not order takers. Our job mm -hmm. is to be almost a therapist and then to come and tell you what we advise yeah. And so I think the idea of having a signature talk that when someone reaches out, your job is to decide if the audience is right for you, yeah. not to decide if you can change who you are for the audience. And I think you do that so beautifully of like, you know exactly who your audience is. And so you know that when you're in front of them, the signature talk that you have is going to serve them. And if it doesn't, you don't, you, you say no, it's what you say no to. Mm -hmm. And you know, I, I wasn't aware people did this until we worked together. I had no idea. People could just give the same talk over and over again. And when I tell my friends now, they're like mind blown yeah. because they're all creating different talks for each of their speaking gigs and they're creating them a week before. And so when I tell them like, no, I've worked on this talk for six months, I've given them to small groups um, of people over Skype just <laughs> to practice, you know, which joke lands, which doesn't and, and all of that. And I, you know, I block where I stand on the stage. Everyone's like mind blown. Um, well, it also supports the work in saying, I'm going to build out really, really beautiful uh, visual elements of it. So my slides mm -hmm. and things are going to go because it's worth the effort because you don't have to do it every single time. Yeah. I think that's why people end up with so many like horrible bullet pointed slide decks is they're building a new slide deck for every single time they go out there. And so, of course, they don't have time to make it beautiful and really tell the visual story behind them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. There are a lot of parallels between like how we build a talk and how we would build a brand identity because we want if we we're designing a brand identity, we want you to be able to stay with it for the next five, 10 years. And we want anyone who creates any marketing materials for you to read our brand style guide and be able to know exactly what is on brand and what is not and where they use these colors and where, where they do not and what fonts, et cetera, et cetera. And um, to, to your point about not being an order taker, I think of it like when I'm approaching the talk, like what's the end result we want this brand identity to have. And so most of my calls, like, I don't ask our clients what is their favorite color. <laughs> I don't ask where, you know, where do they where do they like to shop and all of those things. I want to know who does this need to attract? What feelings does it need to invoke? How do you want to be perceived? Do you want to be perceived as expensive or cheap or funny or, you know, serious? And then I go from there. And then I explain we made these design choices like you might not like this color, but this color, it's proven that psychologically it's the color that infuses trust and authority. And this is why we chose it. And this is who it's going to attract. And then they understand like, OK, I get it. This is not just about my personal taste. This is about this is business. Yeah, well, there's there's something about that, too, like the idea of well, I like these things. This is my favorite car. This is my favorite thing. But it's like, but you're not the one who's paying you. So mm -hmm. you need to design something to get people to know what they need to know to do that. It's really, it, it actually makes a lot of sense. You're saying this and I'm like, my brain is like filtering things. And mm -hmm. so I think it's part of why you're so effective on stage as well of knowing what stories to tell, what examples to use, um, how to package them, how to weave people through is because ultimately like with the brand identity work that you and your team do, it feels like what you're trying to do is to help your clients, to, to help the, the prospects they want to work with or the people they want to attract to make a decision during the process. So if I come to your website, if I experience your business card, if I experience your LinkedIn profile, mm -hmm. it's helping me move towards a decision to, to call you or work with you. And yeah. I think that that is our job as public speakers, presenters, storytellers, is to present information in a way that it helps the audience move towards a decision. Even mm -hmm. if the decision is, uh, this isn't for me, I don't care, at least we force them to decide, I don't care. Yeah. And I think that that's, it, it's interesting to me because it's it feels like that's what you do with your clients. And it's one of the things I see you do on stage so intelligently is that at the end of your talk, 
the audience can't decide that design doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. They could decide they don't care, but they don't leave saying, well, it's all just about cute logos. It's really smart. <laughs> I hope not. And it, it's, this, it's the same thing um, as to like how you lay out the information on your website as well. Like what page do you want them to click on next? What is the action you want them to take? Do you want to capture their email? Do you want them to click the book me for a speaking gig page? Um, what do you want them to see and in what order? Like I always ask that, like if your website is made for, if, if you're a speaker who gets paid to speak, you want, and you want to attract this certain type of clientele, then maybe the first thing we need to do first and foremost is one helps that if you've got like a video header of you speaking on good stages, because already it's like, okay, tick that box. He has spoken before. And then, you know, what if we've got like the, your client logos right above the fold. So then it's like, oh, tick, like Mike has spoken for all of these big name clients. So he's good. He's good enough for them. He's good enough for us. And then top right corner, the button to book now. Like what are the most important things you need to tell an event organizer to make them say, okay, yeah, Mike's a good contender. I want to get on a call with him and, and figure out, figure out how we can work together. Well, it's interesting too, because if your job is mostly, if you're getting paid just to be a keynote speaker, then that is the right flow. Because by the time I get to your website as an event planner, what I'm doing is trying to say, okay, I've got, I've got to get three or four people on the list, right? So I want to do that. But how would you do it differently if someone wasn't, if, if someone wasn't a keynote speaker necessarily, they weren't getting paid to be a keynote speaker, but they were someone who uses speaking as part of their revenue stream. And what they really do is also get people to join their programs. And maybe the people that hire them are more like event organizers who are running their own events, not like event planners for companies, but they're people who are running their own mastermind retreats and things like that. How do you think that website would look different than a I get paid only when I step on stage kind of speaker. Would you do anything different? Of course. Well, this is when um, I would ask like my clients, well, what is the most important thing for your business right now? Um, because if you're trying to fill your programs, is it just about converting the people already in your audience into buying the programs? Because that's going to look different than you don't yet have an audience to sell to. The biggest focus right now is to grow that audience. Right? To grow the list, the email yeah. list or whatever. Yeah, because then you can use email to sell the program. So it, it depends on so many little variables <laughs> about your business, right? And, yeah. and so if it's to grow your audience because you, you still don't have a big enough audience and you want to be known for like, come to me if you want to know how to craft a better speech and how to get um, paid handsomely speaking, then let's make your website, like your homepage more content focused. So mm. you're giving value. So maybe I'd be like, well, let's, let's feature your top podcast episodes. Let's feature your top videos and maybe a couple of free resources and also some credibility factors. So people know like, oh, I, I can learn this from Mike because he's like done all of these awesome things. Um, so it, it really depends. And so, so taking that and thinking through, okay, so that's, that's because it is similar to designing a talk in that, mm -hmm. that if you're, if your job on stage is to be a keynote speaker and you're in front of an audience of people that can book you, then you want to do something different than if your job on stage is to speak so that people run up to you afterwards and say, how do we possibly work with you? Like mm -hmm. those talks need to be different. And I think that so many people struggle because they see uh, they're following the wrong model. The same way that if I saw someone's beautiful website, I would say, oh, I want that same beautiful website, but it may not match my goals. And that same thing happens with speaking. And you seem to, with, with the, the choices you make in your talk, you seem to be really strategic about knowing what do I want from this? Can you talk a little bit about how you think through what is my goal on stage today? Yeah, so I always think that, well, my goal, I, I've, I've only spoken for free. So I haven't been paid to speak. Um, and my goal was always to get clients from the audience. So first I pick my events wisely to make sure that are these 
are there only going to be business owners in the room? And how much did they pay? Did they pay handsomely for this conference ticket? Because if they did, they're more likely to be our types of customers mm. rather than was this like a hundred dollar ticket. Um, but that matters, right? Like if we sell expensive websites, I can't be in a room full of like newbie business owners. That wouldn't be good for my business. So I think of that. And then I think of, you know, like, well, I'm not going to be able to teach them how to design in a 45 minute talk. So how do I get them to, to believe that we're the ones for them? And how do I educate them in the power that design has to influence perception, to increase their conversions? Well, and I think, I think too, one of the things, again, because I've, I've had the opportunity to see you, and I think this is important for people that are listening who are, who are in that, because I say there's, there's three kinds of like speaking business models, and there's speak for fee, where I'm getting paid to stand on that stage, and I get paid to stand on more stages. There's speak for fee or free, which is I'm speaking for free, but uh, unless I'm independently wealthy, I can't do that forever. So I need to be strategic about where I mm -hmm. speak for free, like you're saying. I remember the beginning for me, I used to, when I first started, I was talking a lot to restaurants and, and hospitality industry folks. And I would always, I would go and I did some for free. And I thought, oh my God, no one's hiring me from this audience. And I realized it's because there are a bunch of independent restaurant owners and how I positioned myself was that I was a keynote speaker. Well, mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but like the local place where you go for lunch, they're not really hiring <laughs> keynote speakers. So I had to think about if I'm going to take those. And, and at first I thought like, oh, it's maybe I'm not very good at this. Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe they're standing up and applauding and that's just what they're supposed to do. But mm -hmm. I'm not very good at this because none of them are hiring me. And I realized, oh, they're operating like a 5% margin business with 15 employees. Mm -hmm. Why would they ever hire a keynote speaker? Why would they ever even hire like a workshop leader? So I realized, okay, if I'm going to do those gigs, I need to have some kind of consulting package or some kind of like assessment offer for them. And I started doing that and that was much better. So the speak for free model like you're saying, is really important to think about who is in the audience and do I have something to offer them? Because if you only want to get paid for keynote speaking, you got to be in the right free audiences for mm -hmm. you. And if you want to offer a premium product or you want to offer something, then you need to be in front of the right people. And then there's the third option, which is speak for me, which is I just host my own events and I invite people to my retreats and my events and uh, that's something I'm working on uh, myself lately is I just want to do my own things uh, so I could control the cities and the locations and I don't have to be in cold places uh, in the winter. But that's funny. I thought you were going to say uh, paid to speak because there's also that and I've considered it like you can pay to have, a oh, booth, yeah. you know, at a conference and to have like a, um, a traffic and conversion does this as well. If you want to yeah. spend 10 grand to be on their stage, you're you can. I've actually worked with um, a couple of companies where they, they've done that. They've paid uh, a sponsorship package and they get a spot to speak at the conference and they realize that, hey, if we're going to spend $20,000 to have a speaking spot, we better have a talk that does its job. And so I've worked with them to help yeah. them design a talk so that it actually gets them clients because just being on stage is not enough to get people <laughs> to say, wait a second, we want some of that. You've got to know what you're doing up there. And mm -hmm. so- with the, it's an interesting piece when people think about, you were talking about going and speaking in these audiences, making sure the audience was the right people. And again, there's another strong link to brand identity there around your, the design of your talk, the design of your slides has to match the audience. Because even if it's a beautiful talk, even if it's a beautiful, uh, a beautiful visual element, be beautiful visual storytelling, if you're not in front of the right audiences, the same way that your your website might be or your brand might be, if it's not in front of the right people, then it's confusion and you're not going to get the results you want. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it feels like a lot of people go on like a wild horse chase, a wild horse chase. Is that what it's called? Wild <laughs> goose chase? Rabbits? I don't know. I'm not very good with English expressions. I'm really horrible with them too. I say like the wrong, like, I'm always like, don't throw a bird at a dog in a basket or something. I don't know what they are. Um, but it feels like it could send you down the wrong hole because you think, oh, I need a prettier logo. Oh, I need a this or that. And the issue is something else the same way that, oh, I need to be better as a speaker when in reality, it's just you're in front of the wrong audience. So mm -hmm. when you think about 
when you think about how that plays into brand identities and designing them for people, uh, and and maybe specifically speakers for like their their websites or their brand identities, what are some of the things you think? You know, because you've talked about the three the three V's: vision, voice, and visual. Mm-hmm. You've worked with some. Uh, you worked with uh, Neen James on her website. I think is beautiful. Mm-hmm. You worked with. I mean, the who's who of personalities and public speakers you've worked with, your team has worked with. What are some of the pieces that go into putting that kind of clarity out there so that it the what's visually represented matches what shows up on stage? Because it's it's there's an interesting piece there of like it's not just a, a physical product where you look at the website, you buy a bottle of the product and you get the bottle of the product. Mm-hmm. It's I'm using my website and my design, my brand identity to attract certain people, but then I physically have to show up and deliver that. So is there a difference between like the brand identity does need to match who you are as well? How do you think differently about that for like personality brands? Well, like, and now you got me thinking, what if we make them look better than what they are on stage? Right. What if it looks like, like, like my website is very much about like, showing that like I'm fun, I, I like mm-hmm. to, I'm engaging, I'm enthusiastic, I'm a little bubbly. But what if I showed up and I was super serious in a suit? What would happen? Yeah. So, and, and the websites I've seen of yours, it seems like the, the, the brand identities I've seen that, that you've worked on, there's clarity between it. Like if you go to Neen James's website, it, what you see there is what you get when she shows up on stage. Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting thing to think of like, there's an additional piece there that doesn't exist with the physical product. Yeah, I, I remember with with Neen specifically because Neen is a very unique speaker, right? If you if you don't know who Neen uh, James is, she has um, she's a powerhouse speaker, but she has a, a a voice that you don't expect. You know, when she first starts talking, like she has a very would you call it as high pitched. Yeah, she makes fun of herself. So I'm going to say this because she said it herself of uh, I sound she sounds like a five year old, like she's got the voice of a five year old. She'll say that to you. So I feel free uh, saying that. That's what she describes. And she's Australian. So she automatically also has the accent. So and and she calls her I love that she calls herself or someone called her the Energizer Bunny. Was the it? Energizer Bunny. Yeah. Um. So she has like this incredible personality and and she also always says like she likes expensive things. And when she came to us, she's like, well, I want my brand to also have like a pop of pink because I always have like a pop of color. And this is where I had to be really careful because had we used too much pink, we might have alienated a lot of her clients, which are, you know, big. Comcast, Viacom, big, big brands. Um, so it's about like, okay, how do we balance, how do we make sure that the website still showcases your unique personality, your, your energy, like that bubbliness that you have, but also shows, um, the world and and these potential clients that you are the real deal. And, um, you, you charge, like she charges what she's worth, you know, like how do we show that Nina is a premium speaker, but also infuse a little bit of her personality. So the touch of pink, for example, we had to limit it to just the call to action buttons. Mm. So it's great because in a page that um, is a lot of neutral tones and, you know, we got her to take new photos that were very like, um, in luxury settings and beautiful offices in the middle of Manhattan and, and, you know, all like she's wearing a lot of white, which is also like something you associate with like, okay, premium. Um, you know, I feel like only, only very wealthy people wear like white head to toe, you know, because <laughs> yeah, they don't have to worry about getting dirty. <laughs> Nothing's so going to get them dirty. All of those, you know, stereotype, not stereotype, but like assumptions that we already make about certain things, but then having like that little twist of surprise. And, and for Nina, it works really well because we've got like a lot of neutrals and touches of gold to show that premium feel. But then we've got like those pops of, you know, neon pink um, that show her personality. So that's, 
I think that also comes very intuitively to me to know like how do I portray your how do I tap tap into the to the psychology of color and some of of the design fundamentals and portray not only your personality but also the key um, aspects that we want your potential client to assume about you. Well, and it feels like it's it's different than what we were saying earlier, where it's like, what do you personally like? It's still not what you personally like. It's still how, it's almost like, how do people see you when you show up? And so how do we make it match that? Like when you're at your best, how do you show up? And then how do we make sure everything about you matches that? Because for for us, for speakers and for, for you know, kind of personality-based entrepreneurs, you're the you're the product that's going to show up. So if you tricked me on your website, you're maybe not going to have a long career. And so it's a really interesting thing to think about how to be that thoughtful through the process. Mm-hmm. So and how to be true to you as well. This is reminding me of like our mutual friend um, Rachel. She had this blog post go viral um, where she wrote why you don't want a website like Marie Forleo. Yeah. And it's about that as well. Like, how do you communicate your unique personality and have that come through your brand? Because you don't want it to look like everyone else and then, or to have it look like Marie Forleo's and then really your personality is not like hers at all. And so there's a disconnect there again. Right. And and the, the product that you offer and the type of people you should be attracting, because mm-hmm. if you're attracting people that are like Marie Forleo, uh, customers, clients, and fans, but that's not what you offer. Now you've attracted the wrong people to your business. And, yeah. you know, you put out a, um, like a, like a bat signal, a Batman signal in a way, but you attracted the wrong people. And so now, you know, what do you, what do you, what do you do with that? It's, it's, it's a lot like dating, yeah. you know, it's like what you put out there is who you attract. So if you're attracting a bunch of creeps, then like change something up. <laughs> and it's also like something that you need to keep close, um, to pay close attention to because it's not just your brand identity that is going to help form these assumptions. It's everything unique visitors a day. Wow. It was insane. We had, I don't think we've ever done a website with that much traffic before, but suddenly all the businesses that were coming to us were like other tarot readers who wanted to become (laughs) like that. And I had to be careful because if we had, you know, if I had accepted everything, maybe next thing I know I'm branded as, the tarot website agency. Right. We do brand identities for mystical leaders. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's the thing. Yeah, it's, it is interesting because like the same thing about even like the logos you choose to put on your website. Mm-hmm. If, if you're a speaker and you've worked with a lot of different brands, being thoughtful about what does that say to somebody mm-hmm. of, of yeah. you know, if I've only chosen certain kinds of industries. I, I was really careful with that when we as I was evolving and going from mostly speaking in the beginning to like restaurants and hotels to other groups, every single time I spoke to another group, I would put that on there and take a restaurant brand off. So I Mm -hmm. could make that transition to being not a restaurant speaker because that wasn't really what I wasn't talking about, like how to restaurant. I was talking about leadership and, and the stories we create together as leaders. And so I was really thoughtful about every single time I have anybody who is not a restaurant, I am pulling it off and putting the new one on. Because yeah. it sent a message to people of like, it's an interesting, like, we accept in each other or for ourselves that like, we're very broad, like there's so many parts of you, right? Like, uh, you can you can love wine and yoga, you can like, uh, you can like Fritos and quinoa, you can love <laughs> to travel and also stay home. We accept that about each other. Like, oh, we're, we're multifaceted people. But when we look at a brand identity, we mm-hmm. don't want it to be we want it to be the one thing we want it to clearly say something and it's hard for us to look at it and say, Oh, they're like, as a speaker, sometimes I feel like we look at people like, wait, she likes to travel on airplanes and also ride scooters. I don't understand. Who is she even (laughs) like, she likes wine and beer. How can it be? We sometimes look at it and we want clarity because Mm -hmm. do you think that's because when we're spending money, we don't want to make a mistake or What do you think that's about? I I was going to say that. Like if you're, um, you know, if you're getting married and you're hiring a photographer, you want to hire a photographer that only has weddings in their portfolio. You don't want to hire a photographer that has nudes and travel photography. And then that sounds like a fun wedding. Also, (laughs) (laughs) 
because you know that if if someone you do want to be making the right choice and the right choice is the most specialized person mm. for the job um that's why recently we launched the website we design brandidentities.com to make it very clear that this is our area of expertise um because at one point we were confusing people because we we did like the occasional book cover we did the occasional iphone app and software and and then people were like wait do i go somewhere else to get my logo designed and then i come to you for a website or we had other people come to us for just their brand identity and then would ask us who can do our website um so yeah i think i think when people are making decisions to invest in their business it's it's important that it's very clear that you're the right choice for what they're after we we always want the best that we can afford like you mm -hmm. know if you had an option and you're like i can afford five thousand dollars for this you want the best person you can find for five thousand dollars and don't the person always... that knows the most about right. um what you need right now and or what your you industry what I think it's, I, I'm super excited about uh, WeDesignBrandIdentities.com because I feel like that is such a struggle that people go into. They go and they they get a logo from someone. They pick some color they like. They go to a photographer. They go get this. They go get that. And then they kind of Frankenstein it together. And at the end, they end up spending the same amount of money they would have otherwise. And they're not getting any results versus mm -hmm. sitting down first and going through a process to say, let's get really clear about this. And so I think that that this is just something so many people need is that clarity in order to grow their business. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I always say that um, if you ever feel like your designer is not getting your vision, um, don't try and learn design lingo. Don't try and and you know understand what you have to tell them, um, or you know don't don't say like oh why don't you try this font and this color like. They're, the designer should be asking better questions. If they're not asking you about your business strategy, um, your positioning, then they are that type of designer that is just making things pretty. And, and most, likely, yeah, most likely they're going to be like, okay, so what do you want on your logo? What colors do you want, Mike, for your brand? And, and what fonts do you like? Do you like serifed fonts or sans serifed or cursive? And you're like, what? What are those? I don't know. Show me some. And then you're going to pick one not knowing what it's communicating about your brand. So, yeah, I think that's how you tell a good designer is what type of questions do they ask. I was waiting for you to be like, so fire them. <laughs> that's like a mic drop moment well, right yeah. there if they're ever like order taker designers you you probably don't want to be working with them because the real at least is not something so important as yeah. like the brand identity and, i mean and sure, that's exactly them, it. small jobs like ebooks and pdfs or whatever right because if you're going to go out there in the world and try to ask people to pay you for your for your expertise it needs to it needs to look and feel a certain way and you need to invest in that. I think it's one of the most important things we can invest in as entrepreneurs, as speakers is what is, because it does so much of the work for you, your brand identity, and not just your website, but your whole packaging does so much of the work for you so that you can just show up, have a simple call, a simple sales call. It's already been done for you because everything else about you spoke and you don't have to dig yourself out of the hole. And that's one of the mm -hmm. things I think is super cool about what your team does is it it really, it's almost like a whole sales team on the front end that's working for you and you pay for it once and it keeps paying you back forever. It's, yeah. it's, um, it's smart work. Your, your brand identity when done right becomes your key to premium positioning and it becomes your best unpaid salesperson. Um, actually, like uh, it was our friend Matthew Kimberly that said that when we relaunched his new website with the new brand identity, he found it a lot easier to charge more and found no resistance. I mean, how much better can that can we do with design? Like he just increase his prices and and the design like people expected that from the look and feel of the website and it was it was increasing prices with integrity because the goods mm -hmm. are that good and it was finally yeah. just able to be shown off in a way that says okay that's the thing i want that's that's worth it for me and and mm -hmm. the actual what i got matched the quality of the the design mm -hmm. and because there's a lot of people that they get by um because 
you know, we get, uh, we hire a lot of people based on word of mouth, right? I mean, um, I would ask you, like, do you know any good copywriter before I'd go on Google and try and find one? Right. And and so if you tell me this one is the best of the best, even if they have a, like, a shitty website, I trust you. So that person's going to get by enough because of her reputation or his or her reputation. Um for word of mouth referrals. But what if you told me like, Hey, Joanna, I've got these three copywriters that I think are awesome. You'll be fine with either one. Then I'm going to be basing that decision based on the visual impression they're, they're going to create in my mind. Right. And how often is it that we do go and get, cause you might ask me for an opinion on a copywriter, but you're probably asking two or three other people. And if we each mm -hmm. gave you three different people, you go and look at those three brand identities the one that looks the best is going to stand out. The one that looks most aligned with what you want is going to stand out. It's just a yeah. truth. It's a or at truth. least the one that looks the best is probably the one that I'm going to stick around and read the copy right. on the website. I might right. just open a tab and be like, oh, no, I don't think I don't think this person knows what they're yeah. doing. Next. Yeah. Well, and it's so interesting to think about how even pricing goes to that. When you get on the call and they say, this is what I charge. And it's like, oh, you do? Like, I'm surprised by that. It could go in either direction. It could be like, wow, yeah. that's so much cheaper than I thought. Or, whoa, that is way more than I would have thought because of what you presented, not because of my knowledge of what the copywriting fees should be, but because of mm -hmm. how you showed up to me, I made a decision of what the value was going to be. Yeah. It's an interesting thing. So, okay. So we've got this this team. You've grown this team. You you built this 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 group of folks, you've got wedesignbrandidentities.com, you're doing brand identities, you're doing, you're helping people really create what they go out into the world with. Was the process of, this is me, I feel like I should like wink to you because I already know the answer. And this is me <laughs> cheating audience. So this is the goal, the goods of being a podcaster who can interview their friends is you can cheat like this. So <laughs> It seems like so many things, you know, you're making books, you're making your your counterfeiting name badges, uh, logo badges in high school, you go off to school, you decide to do design, you build a brand, you get on big stages, the audience falls in love with you, uh, you, you have big clients. Part of that means having a team. And mm -hmm. having a team uh, is probably the hardest thing of all of those things that you've done, I would imagine. How yes. has how has that? Because I think there's a lot of folks out there who are who are growing businesses, adding people to their group, adding you know ad hoc, adding building something big, and I think we look at each other sometimes and think, oh, you know, they've got it all figured out. And growing a team and being a leader is difficult. And so, I'm curious, how is your transition from being a really talented designer, being a really talented brand identity therapist, if you will, to being a leader. What has that been like? Oh my gosh. It's been a nightmare. It's been the hardest <laughs> thing <laughs> that I've ever done. Um, you know, I even, I, there's even an article on Business Insider that I wrote, which is um, how, how micromanaging my employees led them to quit and what I learned to do instead. Talk about uh, truth telling. That's some honesty. <laughs> Because um, my first attempt at being a leader to two designers was, um, let me look over your shoulder and micromanage your every move. And, oh, no, I wouldn't pick that color if I was you. And, oh, why don't you try this font? And because I know what I'm talking about, like, I can do that. And in retrospect, I can see how, like, that was really poor leadership on my part. Um, so that's probably been one of my biggest challenges is how do I empower my designers to make these choices? Um, and how do I direct them to when I see that they're not really hitting the mark on what the client needs in a way that also doesn't, um, doesn't just like crush their, I, I don't want to say crush their egos, but you know, like affect their motivation and um, yeah, it's, it's tough. 
And you've, being my friend, you've heard a lot of adventures in the, in that comes with running a team, you know, people, people uh, quitting and then opening up their own design shop and then telling our clients about it and saying that they're the same team, but they'll charge cheaper than I'm charging and things like that. Um, So on one hand, it's very hard, but on the other hand, I wouldn't be able to speak on stages if it wasn't for the team because I have my hands full with design. Um, I probably, you know, I'm pregnant now. I'd be take, I'll be taking maternity leave soon and the world would probably look a whole lot different if I didn't have the team to keep doing the work. Um, so in retrospect, it is a great challenge that I'm happy that I'm doing, um, but it is one of the hardest things that I do on a daily basis. Well, and it's it's an interesting thing too as a as a creative person, where so much of your so much of your success early on was about your ability to make the right choices for a client, mm-hmm. and it's an interesting thing to say. How do you teach that? How do you say, "Hey, you need to learn to think through the same lens I do about these design challenges." is a is an interesting thing how have you found because i think a lot of people struggle with that in their business of they're growing their business and they want someone even think down to like customer service i want you to handle our clients the way i would i want you to answer emails the way i would because the brand at that point is me i'm adding you to it so we can grow but we got this far because i did it i made the choices to get here and i think people do that a lot not just in handing off the creative work like like your team is doing some of the creative work but in handing off customers and clients letting someone else run your facebook group if you have a facebook mm-hmm. group if you're if you're someone out there with courses or something and someone else is running your customer service someone else is running your facebook group it is largely we're not you know comcast and mtv and and walmart where it's a big brand it is us who is the brand often or at least it's close to our personality. And so it's it's a difficult thing to say, how do we do that? How have you found when you do hand off the creative work and it's you need to let them make choices, but you need to also guide it, how are you doing that? Well, I think um, I, I try and, you know, be there at the beginning for like the brainstorming sessions. Um, and when I'm handing off the brief to them, describing exactly like, because there's a lot of things that I can't teach them. Um, Like from doing a course and speaking with you, I know a lot about the speaking industry. I know a lot of what, what the people are looking for in the website. So I need to teach them that I need to teach them like, okay, so this is what happens. An event organizer is going to look at their website. And the most important thing they're going to need to do is this. So I try and teach them as much as I can about the project at hand in the brief. Um, But there's also a lot that, I know that they've already learned at university. Like, luckily for me, I don't need to teach them the psychology of color because they've all learned that. Or sometimes, like we we, you know, pass around um, training videos in the office so that we get better and better at like typogra- typographical principles, um, color theory, and all of that. So, so it's a mix between um, trying to deliver the brief as best as I can, um, and then try to encourage them to just keep educating themselves on the things that um, matter to our company. You know, we're a conversion-driven design agency, so we need to keep learning, we need to keep brushing up on our skills on, you know, conversion trends and how visuals influence our behavior, etc. So I think that's how I try to do things but I still you know I, I have to admit I still have my hands in creative directing all the projects that's not something I've been able to be like okay this is gonna go to the client I'm not even gonna look at it like no I still look at every single project to make sure yes this is what it should look like or no let's push this a little bit more let's make this look a little bit even more expensive than it does yeah it feels to me like that's part of what you were meant to do. Like, this is part of who you are. We started this interview and I was talking about how you probably since an early age, you know, I was, I was making the joke of how it feels like you just, you know, this is what you were born to do. And even through the course of this conversation, even through the course of you sharing what you've learned as a leader, it feels like this is what you were meant to do 
if you and you do so much work with clients on brand identity where you're helping them define sometimes the work they were meant to do. So if someone's listening to this, right, and they've listened to you and they think, oh my gosh, I want to find it. It sounds like she's having like mic drop moments all over her life where she's just showing up and being real and being her and people are responding. And I want some of that. I do believe that it's ultimately a mic drop moment is about doing what you were meant to do in front of other people. And I think you're such a, such a great example of that and doing it at such a high quality level. If someone's out there and they're listening to this and they think, oh my gosh, I want some of what she has. I want to do what I meant to do. What's your advice for them? Oh, to find out what that their thing is, yeah. what they're meant to do. And how to, how to, how to take action and go for it. Cause that's also something I think if people are following you, they'll see like you go for the stuff you want to do. Well, here's what I'll say. I, I do think that a lot of people deep, deep down, they know <laughs> what they like to do what their passion is and what they're meant to do. They're just telling themselves excuses for why this is not what they're going to end up doing in the world or what, the, you know, what they're not meant to do because, you know, does the world really need another speaker on this topic? Does the world really need another singer? Does the world really need another book? It, for me, it's more about like, I get excited when I can shift those, those limiting beliefs. Um, Cause I, I, I do think like most of us, we know deep down. Like I remember so many conversations that we've had. Like both of us know what we're <laughs> what we're meant to be doing, or what we really want to do. What would really light light us up, but we get in our own way. So it's more about like shifting your mindset so that you stop getting in your own way. And that is a wrap for my conversation with. Joanna Galvao. If you're interested in learning more about what they're up to over there, you can head to wedesignbrandidentities.com. It'll get you all the details and you'll figure out how to connect with them there. But this episode, we talked a lot about design, brand, having a clear point of view and making sure that what your brand is saying for you is serving you and your audience. So thanks for listening. As always, I know you have a lot of choices when it comes to what you fill your ear holes with, and I'm sure happy and excited that you chose to listen to me. So we'll see you on the next episode, everybody. Thanks for being here. This episode has ended, but your journey doesn't have to. Head on over to MikeDenino.com. Access all the resources and links that Mike and his guests shared today. And keep on crafting your own story. That's MikeDenino.com. Your audience is waiting. Isn't it time to find your hashtag mic drop moment? 